There just seems to be an absolute abundance of messages from men as soon as I show any vulnerability. Yeah. It comes across creepy. See a woman struggling with mental health yeah. slide into her DMs. And one of them was like, wanted to inquire about my services. I said, well, you can find out everything on my website and get redirect them to my website. And then he's like, well, maybe we can discuss it over dinner and a drink. And I was like, yeah, sure. My consultation fee is £1,500 per hour. <laughs> What I like about what you do, though, is you screenshot and put it up on the, as a post. I, I liken it to a farmer stringing up a dead fox over a chicken coop because it warns off the other foxes. Yeah. Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the revolutionary event crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. When it comes to LinkedIn success stories, Leah Turner is hard to beat. After creating a successful transcription business, Leah decided to give LinkedIn a try in an attempt to attract more clients. She had no idea that her voice, approach and expertise would lead to her profile rocketing in popularity and within six months she had reached 30,000 followers. Today she has a network of more than 125,000 followers around the world and trains other people on how to use LinkedIn to build their businesses. She's faced trauma, self-harm and depression in her life but she's resilient, hardworking, and doesn't take any bullshit, especially from sleazy blokes creeping into her DMs. This is the eventful life of the queen of LinkedIn, Miss Leah Turner. Leah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So let's roll yeah. all the way back. Where did you grow up and how did you become the queen of LinkedIn? I grew up in Sussex. Um, my mum worked in a post office and my dad was a window cleaner. Um, after leaving the Navy. And he unfortunately passed when I was 10. I sort of spent my teenage years going off the rails and then dumped school uh, at 16. I quit and got a job. Um, and I just worked like little admin jobs and a few waitressing jobs until uh, I was about 26. And I, I was working as an office manager for building consultants and took I decided to make some more money so I could travel because I'd fallen in love with traveling after yeah. a month in Thailand and created a side hustle, which within six months was earning me more than my full-time job. Um, and that took me up to when I fell pregnant with my son and had to juggle being a full-time mum and running a business full-time. And it was one of those businesses where like, I had to focus for 10, 12 hours a day and I was earning about like minimum wage. Uh, not a lot. I was relying on government support to sort of make ends meet. Um, and when I, just before my son was sort of, the year before my son started school, I decided that I wanted to try to push the business a bit and grow it so that I could um, work just the hours that he was at school so I could have a better quality of life and time with him. Um, so the hours that he wasn't at school, I wasn't glued to a computer all the time. And that's what initially had me logging into LinkedIn because okay. I had no marketing budget um, and I needed new clients. And I, I'd always had sort of word of mouth pre previously to that. Um, 
but that wasn't enough to grow the business. So I sort of tentatively went onto LinkedIn wondering what on earth it was all about <laughs> and quite quickly logged off again and thought, this is not for me. Yeah. I do not look like anybody that's on LinkedIn and there's <laughs> no way they're going to take me seriously. Um, but I, I just kind of persisted with it and I kind of had no other choice. I thought this is... What year did you uh, log on? 2019. 2019. Before we go on to the whole LinkedIn journey, because that's actually fascinating in itself, the way you've grown. Amazing. I love that story. I want to roll back a couple of words you mentioned earlier. You said in your teens, you went off your off the rails. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Um, so my dad had a nearly two-year struggle with cancer. Um, which was obviously very difficult when I was sort of between the ages of eight and 10. Um, lots of hospital trips, lots of being very quiet at home and struggling to pay the bills because he was the breadwinner. Um, that was obviously really, really difficult. And then some other things sort of happened in my early teens. And I think as a combination of unprocessed grief and um, personal trauma and as I've since realized undiagnosed ADHD um, I had severe mental health problems so um, I was also a victim of um, well a survivor of some pretty nasty stuff uh, as a teenager what do you mean and what do you mean by nasty stuff I was assaulted um, I was sexually assaulted by somebody in a really horrible situation and that left me in quite a poor state when I was about 15 um, and I just couldn't really cope at school and at that point I didn't want to go on um, and I, I made an attempt on my life and once I'd sort of you made you made an high, attempt at your life at the age of 15 wow yeah. what were you thinking yeah what were you thinking just hurt too much like I didn't I felt worthless my self-esteem was rock bottom um I struggled with the friends that I had that decided that they didn't believe me because I'd been at a party and I'd had my drink spiked and it was someone that I knew and they didn't believe that he would do that. Um, the police process was really tough because uh, I tried to report it to the police when I kind of, um, it silenced me for a few days. I didn't, I didn't speak at all after it happened for three days until I broke down on a teacher at school. Um, but by which point all of the evidence had been washed off me. And so it was my word against his and he disappeared. And I just said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, Were the police helpful? They were as helpful as they could be. The social services would, were brought into school to discuss it. Um, I don't think there was really a whole lot that they could do because it had taken me three days to even have the courage to say anything at all. Um, so it was, yeah, it was pretty traumatic. But I, I like, I started to recover after that and decided that I wasn't going to let somebody like that spoil the rest of my life. Um, I basically just didn't show up to school for the last year of my GCSEs. Somehow I managed to pass. What year? GCSEs. What year are we roughly talking here? Um, would have been. 2001 okay yeah 2000 2000 2000 
Yeah, 2001, 2002. So that whole incident happened. You went quiet for three days because you didn't know you were trying to process it. And then you thought, I need to go to the police. And your actual close friends. I didn't. Did you speak to any of your friends? um, No. No, I didn't speak to anyone because my school friends weren't really involved in my outside of school life very much. Um, In all honesty, I just didn't really think anyone would believe me. There was part of me that was just like, I don't want this to happen to my mum because we'd obviously been through such a lot as a family already to add that extra stress. Um, and I also kind of thought because I'd I'd stuck myself in that situation, I'd chosen to go to the party. I hadn't told my parents, my like my mum and stepdad where I was going. I'd put myself in a dangerous position and I'd ended up in a flat with a guy and a load of his friends sharing needles and shooting up. I'm barely being able to make it to the party and I was just frightened. Like I I was too young to be in a situation like that. I'd never been around anything like that before. Um, and I kind of blamed myself for putting myself in a dangerous situation. And I thought people are just going to say, well, you deserved it. Like yeah. what, what did you think was going to happen when you do that? So yeah, anyway, I, I carried on with school, um, but I barely attended in my last year and somehow scraped all of my GCSEs, which was kind of a miracle. Were you rebellious? Did you rebel as a kid? Yeah, in some ways. Um, like I'd, I'd disappear for weekends and turn up drunk on a Monday morning on my door, my mum's doorstep. Yeah. But it was it was not from a sense of fuck the system. Yeah. It was from a sense of I don't know how to process all of the feelings that I have. Yeah. And no one around me understands what I'm experiencing. And I didn't want to didn't want therapy i didn't want to talk about it and i just wanted it all to go away yeah um so, so you just sort of p- pushed it under the carpet essentially it, yeah it was never it was never trying to the hurt the people around me or anything like that but obviously as a result of what i did it was very hurtful for the people around me but it was the only way i knew to cope so i drank and i took drugs and i disappeared for weekends on end and no one would know where I was and my mum wouldn't know where I was and I just I drank the pain away I guess in hindsight it was a form of because I used to cut myself quite severely as a teenager as another way with what would you cut yourself with blades blades razor blades what wrists arms legs Yeah. yeah all of my arms yeah like under my tattoos they were a big part of covering up what I did yeah. because I didn't want the scars to show yeah. um, as I grew up. What was that feeling like on what was going through your mind when you were saying, I actually want to cut myself? What was going it through was the a, mind? It was, a, it was a way of visually processing something that, because for me, the internal pain didn't really make any sense. But if I could make it external pain, it was like my brain could process it. Okay. Um, so I, yeah, I used it as a form of release when I was struggling um, in secret, mostly like yeah. people didn't know that I was doing it. It was always covered with clothes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was being a teenager was, was rough. Yeah. I, I wasn't bullied and like people tried at school, but I never really took any notice because words from teenagers couldn't touch me, yeah. couldn't touch the pain I was already in. Yeah. So what teenagers thought of me, I was like, I, I don't give a shit what you say yeah. because nothing that you can say can hurt me more than I'm already hurting. Yeah. But I think externally people saw that I was coping better than I actually was. Okay. Um, 
so yeah it was it was rough was the cut were the cuts there for externally for for a cry for help as well subconsciously do you no, think i never i never showed them to anybody no, okay. i tried to keep them hidden it was um there were some on my legs as well but then that was never as deep as the ones on my arms the ones on my arms left a few nasty scars that they're almost invisible now thankfully yeah. um <laughs> thankfully i heal exceptionally well from cuts even my my son's c-section scar is not visible so yeah you know that's that was a bit of a blessing but my tattoos in my early 20s were very much a way of cr- trying to um escape that person that i used to be yeah. i didn't want to be that person that used to cut themselves and you can see it all over them mm. did you look different or did you dress different as a teenager to others or was there like, yeah um i was a goth we were goth black for you hair. <laughs> yeah DM black hair. i had had bright pink dreadlocks for a while when i was about 16 <laughs> um it was all like baggy clothes or you know chains and all of that kind yeah. of stuff i wanted people to leave me alone and that was a way for me to get people to stay away wow or people or, or not everyone to stay away but those people that didn't understand me and weren't willing to look beyond the surface yeah i wanted to keep those people away it's yeah. one of the funny things because people take a look at my tattoos and they think she does it for attention she just wants to look some way that that people will be shocked by and it couldn't be further from the truth because originally when i started getting tattooed the reason was because I wanted, because 20 years ago, there weren't many women with lots of tattoos. That's right. And for me, being tattooed was a way of being close to my dad, because yeah. my dad had a lot of tattoos from being in the Navy. And it was also a way for me to get people to leave me alone, because as a teenager, and this is going to sound arrogant, um, I was very pretty as a teenager. Yeah. And I got a lot of attention from men that were far older than me that yeah. I didn't want that attention from. And my mum would comment on it a lot. Like that man's looking at you. Yeah. That man's looking at you. But I used to get attention like that from men, but now it's you. Yeah. And it really stuck with me and I didn't want it. And it made me really uncomfortable, especially after what had happened yeah. to me. So I was I was deliberately making myself look like someone who people would just leave alone. Wow. And the only time that they would get close to me was if they actually really wanted to and really looked beneath the surface, yeah. which some people did. It, and that made me kind of know immediately that they were people that were worth being around because they weren't judging me straight away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at what age so, did you? What age did you start getting tattoos? And just for the listeners now, you're tattooed from where the neck down to the toes, chin to toes. Chin yeah, to toes. Not solidly, not completely solidly, but but the vast majority of my body is fully tattooed. And yeah. that's what twenty years of tattooing. How much have you spent? Do you reckon in total? Um, it's got to be on around 20,000, 25,000 pounds. Wow. Yeah, totally. As a proper tattoo addiction, isn't it? The but, but I have to say like, that's what it would have been worth. But I did get quite a few of them for free in exchange for skill swapping with people that I was close to friends, friends that, yeah. that are tattooists. That yeah. I, used to, I got my leg sleeve and that would have been thousands and yeah. thousands. And that was by dog sitting for my, my tattoo artist. <laughs> because as I said, I was on low income. I couldn't, you know, you know there's yeah. no way I could have afforded that much tattooing. Yeah. But I would save a lot of money to, to have certain pieces. Yeah. And then, and then we moved on. You said you found traveling and traveling was like a beautiful thing for you. Did that, was that like a, a, an absolute, was it a freedom? Were you set free? Did you feel? Yeah, I started traveling properly. Um, when I was like, I think 18, 19 and I had a, a boyfriend that I went to a few places with, but it wasn't the kind of traveling like that I really wanted to do. 
Um, and then I was in I was in a relationship with someone for two years in my mid twenties, which was a very volatile, very oppressive, very difficult relationship that I was in that turned incredibly toxic. And when that ended, I had I decided to go away yeah. and try and get some semblance of who I was back because I I'd really lost all of my confidence. I had no self-esteem. Anything that I'd built up had been shattered. And so I went to Thailand for a month. It sounds so cliche, but I went to Thailand for a month on my own and I partied and I made friends and I went on adventures and I just had the time of my life and realized that it really, really set me alight to be in new places with new people and experiencing new things. Uh, when I came back, that's when I started my typing business because I wanted enough. I knew that there's no way I could afford to travel on my salary because yeah. I was paying rent for a flat on my own um, because of splitting with my partner. And I knew I, I had to earn some more money. That's when the side hustle started. And so when I took that full time, I would take a month out every year to go traveling. And Good I for you. Malaysia, Cambodia. I went back to Thailand a few times. Yeah. Lovely. Full moon party? Copenhagen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Copenhagen. Full moon parties, half moon parties, yeah. jungle parties. Any party. Like, <laughs> any party. Mushroom shakes. Yeah, mushroom shakes. Like, you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I love. I loved it. I did it. Yeah. I did it all. Like, I, I did the full experience, hopping on the back of a scooter with a stranger. Yeah. Falling asleep on the beach. Yeah. Waking up wrapped in a hammock not knowing what the hell happened you know <laughs> quality <laughs> quality let's roll let's roll on then because i'm really fascinated by how you've grown on linkedin you know becoming like an uh i don't know if we call it an influencer or content marketing or just a face on linkedin i want to know your journey from that 2019 of you being nervous of going linkedin onto linkedin to now becoming one of the biggest faces on the platform tell me how it all started um so right at the beginning, I didn't even have a picture on my profile because I didn't think anyone would take me seriously. I was just like, I'm a single mum. I work in a back room, got my, my little boy bouncing on my lap. Um, there's like, why would anyone listen to anything that I have to say? What do I have to add to this corporate platform? And I sort of tried doing the whole corporate posts and my posts like died there was no interaction at all in fact someone one of my friends sent me my first ever linkedin post um and it had eight reactions on it <laughs> and it was all from people that i'd been like people who i'd worked with in the past or school friends yeah. and i had about 400 connections when i started and just like everyone else it was all it was all people i'd been to school with people i'd met along the way random people from my phone book and a few you know random people from foreign countries that had connected with it absolutely everybody it wasn't working just pretending to be somebody else yeah so i did what i did with everything in my life and went fuck it i'm just going to be myself yeah um myself was telling goofy silly stories about being a mum um sharing silly things that happened to me with my clients funny stories uh talking about weird projects that I was working on because as a transcriber I, I worked on all sorts of things from disciplinary hearings to interviews with cow farmers like it, it was everything um so I just would write like funny commentaries on things and leave lots of comments on other people's content and at that point I had decided that I was going to put a picture up and that obviously made me stand out yeah. because you don't see that many people with their neck tattooed on LinkedIn yeah um especially women yeah <laughs> like it's it's not something that you see that often and 
my posts started to get traction because of the humor and the sort of rawness and the reality. And I think within the first two months, I had about 10,000 followers. Is that right? Was, but I wasn't chasing numbers. And this yeah. is the weird thing because I, I wasn't looking at how many followers I had. It, it wasn't something that I was concerned about. I was interested in, in the fact that people were messaging me and asking me to do work for them. Yeah. And I was getting all these different jobs. And then I ended up having to find, I had five women to help me transcribe. So they were working freelance for me. I had like 70 clients within the first three months, thanks to LinkedIn. Hmm. And so I was suddenly really busy and thinking, this is amazing. Like I'm getting all these leads and this is actually fun. Like I'm meeting people and I'm talking to interesting people and I'm learning loads. Yeah. And that was the huge thing for me was that I was constantly surrounded by knowledge. I don't learn by someone speaking at me or by reading a, a book, yeah, so, but all the snippets of knowledge that I was surrounded by and people's comments, I was like, I am absorbing so yeah. much of this. Yeah. And the more my posts became successful and quite um, intuitive. So I was like, okay, well, this is working. We're doing more of this, but not like as a conscious decision. It just sort of guided the content that I was putting out. Um, I had a few viral posts that really sort of um, amplified how many people were following me. And then COVID hit yeah. in March and I, I did what I always do. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I went into complete anxious meltdown, completely panicked. And it was, I think it was like a Wednesday night or something that Boris announced that the country was going to go into lockdown. March the 23rd was like, it was. Yeah, it was right before Mother's Day. And <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, supposed to be going down to see my mum in Cornwall for yeah. Mother's Day. And I thought, Jesus Christ, what am I going to do? I can't work from home with my son at no. home. He's four. He needs constant entertainment. So I was completely overdramatic and I got in the car at 9 p.m., bundled my son in a blanket and my dog in the back and a suitcase full of stuff and went, I'm going to Cornwall. Mm. I need my mum's help. It's the only way I'm going to be able to run my business. So I drove through the night and I went in all the different directions, all the wrong directions, <laughs> all the roads were blocked and it took me nine hours to get there. And I was absolutely exhausted and panicking the whole time. And I spent a week there and the country was in like full lockdown at that point. Um, and I decided after I sort of calmed down and I posted a video on LinkedIn, like saying, Do you know what? I'm scared. No one's talking about this, yeah. but no one's saying I'm scared. I'm fucking terrified. Yeah. Like we don't understand this virus yet. All we know is that it's been absolutely devouring China and killing people left, right and center. We really don't know anything about it. And in hindsight, it does feel like I was properly dramatic because yeah. although it was awful, we we got through it. Well, well most of us, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And I posted that video on LinkedIn and it really resonated with a lot of people. And like loads of people messaging me saying, your videos just made me cry because I was genuinely like yeah. really upset and frightened in it. And I think that that really endeared me to people as someone who wasn't afraid to share the highs and the lows. Yeah. Anyway, I decided... I needed to do something because my typing business had basically just fallen off a cliff because none of my clients could see their clients. They weren't generating work for me and all my ladies had children at home. Um, so they couldn't do any work for me anyway. So I realized that loads of people, I think I had about 20, 25,000 followers at this point, And loads of people were saying to me, how are you doing it? How are you growing? How are you getting all these clients? And I had a phone call with a lady who paid a really large sum of money to another LinkedIn trainer for some support. And I hadn't got, had a very good time with it. She was doing a similar job to me. So I said, just give me a call. And this was the lady who'd actually tried to steal my business. She'd sent me an email and said, 
um, how much would you charge for this? And then gone and undercut me no. and posted on LinkedIn. And I was like, <laughs> part of me was fuming. I read a bit about her story and was like, this is another single mom of a son. Yeah. And actually, rather than me getting raging about this, I'm going to offer her some help. Yeah. So I reached out and said, look, let's have a call. Let's see if you can do this without being sly about yeah. it. Um, and we had a phone call for an hour and I gave her loads of advice. And she said it was so helpful and far more helpful than anything she paid over £2,000 for. Wow. And a light bulb went on in my head and I went, maybe I can monetize this. <laughs> and a few people said, oh, LinkedIn coaching is so generic. It's so, so cliche. There's so many of them. No one's going to ever take you seriously. You've only been using the platform for six months. And I went, I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. So on the 29th of April, 2020, I hosted a free LinkedIn training session for somebody. And I said, would you pay for this? Like what I've given you, what you know now at the end of the session, would you pay for it? And he said, yeah, Brilliant. 100%. Brilliant. So I started charging £99 for an hour LinkedIn training. It's like a power hour type yeah. thing. And I thought, good God, I've hit the jackpot. Because yeah. £99 was some, I, I would have to work 10, 12 hours for that yeah. normally typing. And, and it was like a whole day of intense typing work that was giving me backache and, and handache. And I've been doing it for years. So I was like, this is incredible. 99 pounds for an hour. That's, that's amazing. So I did the typical, like my, the sort of scarcity mindset thing and booked every single person that would, that wanted it. Yeah. And I was working flat out, but I was making more money than I ever even imagined. I was just like, this is outrageous. I was earning sort of working 40, 50, sometimes 70 hours a week with a small child. I was now earning four times that yeah. in a month. Amazing. Working like a couple of hours a day. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And then I had a few sessions with a couple of women who went, you're not charging enough. And a few people hired me to sort of help them create content and manage their accounts a little bit. And then I got my confidence up because so many people were getting good results. So I doubled my prices. Good for you. And a couple of months later, I doubled my prices again because I had so much more knowledge to share at that point as well. And, you know, now two years on, I've worked with three and a half thousand people, not one-to-one, -one, but with group trainings, webinars, um, corporate coaching. I've done lots of webinars for companies and things like that all over the world. And my profile just carried on growing. And, you know, I think, I think the key of it is because I've never used any sort of growth hacks or engagement pods or anything like that. And I'm, I'm very vocal about my loathing of them. Um, so my growth could have been a lot quicker if, if I did bother using those, but I think with the integrity, I've sort of done it all with and said, you know, I, I lift other people's businesses because I know now that my platform is powerful and the brand that I've built is very trusted. If I recommend a company or a person, yeah. They get business. Yeah. I recommended my CFO last week in a post. I was like, I didn't even recommend her. I said, I'm going to lunch with her and she's going to sort my business finances and I'll be lost without her. She had four calls booked the next day. Yeah. And I did the same for a guy who was selling LinkedIn banners and he booked like 30 banners in a weekend just because I posted about his service and said, he's amazing. Grab his service. So it's that's it, the thing. It's the power. Makes, it's the power yeah. that what you've done is creating a personal brand without probably realizing yeah i didn't at the beginning of this i didn't even know what a personal brand was same um but i've done i've been really 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 made sure this whole time that i've been doing this is that my goal is to lift other people up i'm like don't get me wrong 
the money that I've earned is amazing and has completely changed mine and my son's lives. Like I've just managed to buy a house. I used to have to get government support to pay my rent and I've just managed to buy a four bedroom house that I'm right near my family. And my son has a lovely bedroom of his own and a garden to play with. And I'm just like, this is life changing for us. That's great. But none of it would be worth it to me because I was happy when I had no money. Like we were genuinely happy that I'm no happier I'm less stressed about money. I've got different stresses, but I'm, I don't stress about affording the gas bill. Now the gas price has gone yeah. up. Um, there's lots of other stresses, but none of all of this would be worth it to me unless I could use it to do good for other people. So things like charity webinars and um, being able to offer free training to people who I know need it or posting about other people's businesses and lifting them up and getting them work. Some people I've sort of posted about their job search and they've had a job offer within a couple of hours. That's the stuff for me that sets me apart from the other influencers that I see that have got millions of followers because I don't see them doing it. Yeah. I mean, I might be wrong, but the ones that I'm aware of, I don't see them promoting a tiny little business to try to get them business money business. and 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 work and lift mm. their business up. I don't see that happening. And for me, I'm like, what's the point in having an influence and a, a strong brand and putting all this time and effort if I can't use it to yeah. change other people's lives the way LinkedIn's changed my life? Mm. I, I personally absolutely love LinkedIn. It's, yeah, it's my favorite platform. Yeah. What would you say? And su- it's so weird for people who don't use it and don't get it because they don't, they just see it as this old stuffy platform. Yeah. And that's exactly what I thought to start with. And then I got on there, I was like, 99% of people on that platform want to see you win. Yeah. Like they want to see you succeed yeah. and they're happy for, your, for, for what you're achieving. Yeah. And in return, like there's a lot of mutual support and it's not just the sales you can make, because obviously there's, it's the most wealthy platform of any of the social media platforms. There is more money available for people on LinkedIn um, than Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. But it's the opportunities that you have and the contacts that you can make that are wild. Just like I trained Ikea because one of my contacts knew somebody at Ikea that was looking for LinkedIn training that then became, I was the first option. And they, on that person's recommendation, they started looking at my content and then they go, I'm training a team in Ikea. Like it, the opportunities beyond the obvious are unbelievable. So yeah, it, it, people who aren't using it, I don't get it. I'm like, why would you not, if you're in business why would you not want to go? It, I always say to my clients, it's like deciding you're going to go to a networking event where you know it's full, you can create this for yourself, a networking event full of all the people you want to know about what you do and who you are. Yep. And you can t- create a network like that. And you get to go in there for 20 minutes a day, have a pint and a chat with a load of them and then go off. Yep. If you could do that on your way home from work every single day and you knew you'd be having conversations with really important, relevant people, you would do it, but you can do it on the sofa yeah. with a cuppa in your slippers if you want to. On your mobile. Exactly. <laughs> Why do you think only 1% of people on LinkedIn actually create content? I think a lot of people don't see the value in it. Um, I think a lot of people also don't know what to say yeah. or they are under the false impression that 
nobody would be interested in what they have to say, yeah. which is what I thought. Yeah. Um, and turns out my random ramblings are quite popular. Yeah, I think it's mostly down to like people don't really see the value in spending the time doing it or they don't want to post something and get no traction. Yeah. And they feel shy about not getting into any interaction and it falling on its face. But actually, that's where we all started. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I always say to people and they say, oh, what do you do? How do you get such big reach when you're doing content? I said, just imagine if you did a post and a thousand views might have seen it or a quarter of a million views might have seen it. It's all amazing. It's all free. It's like having a thousand people in a hotel listen to you speak on stage or a quarter of a million people listen to you at Wembley Stadium speaking on a stage. It's just so powerful. That's what I say to corporates. They sort of say to me, well, you know, what's the ROI? And I was like, if you get 10 of your staff posting three times a week, you could be having 30, 40, 50 or more thousand views on your brand, yeah. on your staff yeah. every single week for no additional marketing budget yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. And why would you not want your staff out there? They're kind of, it's kind of like having your own brand ambassadors, your own um, business influencers on the platform. And it's only, it's going to start with two or 300 likes, um, react, uh, visibility, views yeah. on a post yeah but it can escalate and one post like one of my clients did my digital course in fact two of them one of them was an amazing lady the first post she put out after doing my digital course just my digital course which is my lowest cost training and it had two hundred fifty thousand reactions Brilliant. she couldn't even log into her linkedin for a few days because it crashed because of her post went so viral yeah and all of her messages exploded and she's been working off the back of it ever since yeah viral isn't the goal but but obviously it can help with your visibility. Another of my clients who did my digital course posted one um, a few weeks back and that had about 30,000 reactions yeah. on it. Like I've had posts that I've written for people that have been picked up by enormous pages and, you know, thousands and thousands of reactions. And it's bought business from Google and Uber and Lush yeah. because the people at the company happen to have been scrolling LinkedIn, seen a post and gone, I love that person, yeah. love that post. And it's, it's ended up in having a conversation and leading to business. Yeah. And also those so, posts, the knock-on knock -on effect of those posts is when you do a good post and it goes viral and a load of reactions, the knock-on effect is that people who see that then will go and go into your page and see all about you. And then they start yeah, following so you, then I your numbers viral, go up. I had a viral post a couple of weeks ago that ha that reached like over 2 million people. Wow. Um, and my profile views went up by about 50,000. Yeah. Yeah. In, in a weekend yeah. and every single one of those people saw my business and yeah. my course sales went up and my product sales went up and my mailing list went up um and you know it's all it's all relevant like i don't i say to people don't aim for viral mm. because actually viral is a bloody ball ache yeah like it's really yeah. Yeah. it's a lot of effort my yeah. inbox exploded my va was working overtime to to catch up with it all like it's it's hard work and it can be really overwhelming especially if it's a contentious subject yeah. i had to turn the comments off the the notifications off and just go i'm not i'm not engaging now because yeah. this isn't good for my mental health yeah um what was the subject you what was the sub what was the subject that you turned the comments off for it was so i posted about coming off antidepressants so i started taking anti-anxiety antidepressants last year because i was just it was everything was getting a bit much yeah and i was really feeling myself slip back into a dark place again um, so I decided to start taking antidepressants and I've got to a place now where I don't need them anymore. And I'm really pleased about it. But it was LinkedIn, um, have like a creator management program yeah. for their bigger, their more prolific creators. And they'd actually sent an email saying, look, it's mental health awareness month. We'd love you all to share 
about the subject of mental health if you'd be comfortable to. I shared, because that happened to be the day that I'd taken my last antidepressant because I've been weaning myself off them for several months. And I was ready to just, that was the last one in the packet. I was like, that's it now. I don't need them anymore. Yeah. I, and it would, you know, done one a day and then it was one every other day. And then it was one every three days. And I got something where I didn't. So I was, took a picture of myself holding the packet and saying, I've just taken my last one and that's it now. And it completely went crazy. Yeah. Like masses and masses of interaction, but loads of angry comments, really aggressive comments, trolling comments. She's too pretty to be depressed. Yeah. She doesn't look like she has depression. Yeah. Like, how can you be too pretty to be depressed yeah. for a mental illness? Yeah. Um, loads of people saying this doesn't belong on LinkedIn, which was ironic seeing as it was LinkedIn that last post about it. <laughs> um uh lots of people just being like faking it, trying to just get engagement. I was like, this is this is a horribly vulnerable subject. Yeah. And actually, every time I post about mental health, I have to really steal myself because of the amount of, you need God. You should just pray away your depression. Rub some <laughs> essential oils in your head. All of this. Jump like, in the lips and bath. <laughs> right? Yeah. Have a, have a, have a cold shower. That's going to that's gonna cure my mental chemical imbalance, isn't it? Um, I'm very skeptical about all of that. And I'm very pro-medication yeah. when it comes to trying to deal with a, a physical or a mental illness yeah. i was having therapy as well so it wasn't soul but but telling me that i just need to find god <laughs> to cure my mental health yeah. i was like that might work for you yeah. but i don't believe in god so yeah. i'm pretty sure someone told me that i needed to have a five-day cry and listen to some abba <laughs> that's all yeah. they said <laughs> yeah someone's someone said oh you need to find jesus i was like oh thanks i'll look him up Did, does he have a medical degree <laughs> Right. Did you reply? Did you reply? Yeah. Yeah. Quality. Yeah, I did say that in the reply. But I just had, I mean, my inbox just exploded yeah. with unsolicited advice from unqualified people telling me that I just need to smoke some weed. Yeah. <laughs> All of this stuff. Like, I've yeah, done plenty of that over the years. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's never helped. It's never my helped. <laughs> Made me hungry yeah. and giggle a bit yeah. more, but it doesn't fix things in the long term. So, yeah. I mean, I sound horribly like judgmental and I'm, you know, anybody to each their own i'm yeah. not judgmental about people who choose religion but to to be forceful with the idea of faith as a solution to mental health yeah. i think personally i think is very very dangerous yeah. because i nearly died as a result of my mental health mm. i i nearly lost my life to it and if someone had told me to find god then instead of actually seeking proper support and changing things for myself it might work for people and i don't doubt that some people convince themselves that, that their faith is what has healed them or or their faith that god has healed them because they have faith but I, as someone who doesn't believe in god yeah. at all or any kind of religion whatsoever you know for me when you're dead you're worm food you're just gone yeah like that's that's comforting for me yeah um so for anybody that says to me you just need to find god it just makes me really cross mm. because that's not a solution for me yeah. at all. And I just find it offensive. Did you get, do you get any messages in your DMs from men thinking that you may be single? All the time. Right. Yeah. I don't think they even know if I'm single. They just want to, you know, I had someone ask me, uh, someone, in fact, off the back of the mental health post, I had a load of the older white knights. If you ever need someone to speak to, I'm like, <laughs> we've literally never spoken before. <laughs> But thank you very much, Charles. I'll definitely talk to you when I need to to confess my my darkest mental health problems. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard because some of them probably were genuinely genuine, yeah, yeah. support. 
but there are you never know and there just seems to be an absolute abundance of it of messages from men as soon as i show any vulnerability yeah. which just seems really like i don't want to assume creepy that they're all they're all being creepy but mm. it, it comes across creepy see a woman struggling with mental health yeah. slide into her dms and one of them was like wanted to inquire about my services I said, well, you can find out everything on my website and get, redirect them to my website. And then he's like, well, maybe we can discuss it over dinner and a drink. And I was like, yeah, sure. My consultation fee is £1,500 per hour. <laughs> Brilliant. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe we'll leave it. Brilliant. I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, yeah, I get I get them all the time. Yeah. Like, Unfortunately, LinkedIn is absolute plague of people trying to hit on women. What I like about what you do, though, is you grab, you screenshot and put it up on a, as a post. Love that. Yeah. I, I don't always, I don't show their names usually. No. Because that breaches LinkedIn's terms and conditions. Yeah. I, I liken it to a farmer stringing up a dead fox over a chicken coop. Because it warns off the other foxes. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's like, this is what's going to happen. And around. actually, one of them I got it depends on my mood sometimes i just block and delete because i can't be asked yeah. sometimes i leave my va to get sassy with them um sometimes i just go fuck this shit and post about it <laughs> sometimes i turn them into funny tiktoks and um one time i just went this is absolutely fucking outrageous because i reported it to linkedin and they didn't they said it wasn't against their terms i was like he's just dm'd me to tell me i've got great tits it's like out of nowhere his first message to me was hey a great tits lovely heart heart Never spoken before. So I took a screen. When they replied and said, this doesn't breach our terms of service, I took a screenshot of it, posted it, and tagged his employer in it. Did you tag his employer? Quality. I also tagged I also tagged his wife initially and then thought, no, I'm actually going to remove that because yeah. I felt a bit bad about that. Um, but I tagged his employer and he got sacked. Did he? And I got, yeah, and I got a, a long apology from his manager about his behavior and i was told by other employees at the company that that was not the first time he'd been uh, black on it do you remember his name so i really roger it'll be it'll be in a post back it, i mean it went super viral did it like it, it yeah it did go big um and a few people said to me we well, shouldn't do that think about the man's mental health think about his family think about his livelihood i was like fuck off <laughs> he should have been thinking about that before he sexually harassed a stranger on the internet yeah like my his family aren't my responsibility. His mental health is not my responsibility. But keeping myself and other women safe, that's my responsibility. And if he gets removed from the platform, hopefully he'll think about what he does in future yeah. and have some more fucking respect for his wife. Very true. That sounds really harsh. No, but it's like, very true. As far as I'm concerned, if you've got a wife and children, you don't go hitting on women on the on the internet. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and it wasn't even just hitting on me. It was making a very sleazy, unwelcome comment. Mm. How does your business model work, Leah? My business model. So I do one-to-one coaching. How, how much do you charge for one-to-one coaching? Fourteen nine nine plus back. So it's a two-hour session initially to get you set up and started. Tons of resources. And then you've got me on hand for the next six weeks until we have a follow-up 45-minute session. And I'm there to answer questions, help you restructure your posts, help to encourage you if you need something, anything that you need in that six weeks, I'm there to ask. And you get access to my community and a whole load of extra resources to support you as well. I do group coaching 
once a month, which is up to eight individuals, but I prefer not to do more than six. I also do a digital course and I sell a bunch of products on my um, Shopify website that's like content ideas, content calendars, webinars, pre-recorded webinars that I've, I've done. And I do webinars a couple of times a year so they're accessible for more people. And I'm con- currently working on getting a community set up which is going to be the future of the business because I'm going to be stepping down from one-to-one coaching as of the end of this year. Um, So I'm already booked up till August, September, um, and I'm only going to be coaching one-to-one till the end of this year. So I also do a lot of corporate coaching. So I work with big groups. Like last week, I I worked with Forbes solicitors. So I went into their office and trained 15 senior partners in a law firm, to use LinkedIn better to attract clients. Um, and I'm doing more of those like in-house and yeah. online training for companies. And so I'm starting a community. So it's going to be a very a low cost community that will provide two business masterclasses a month, not based around just LinkedIn. It's going to be, uh, I, like I have access because of my reach and because of all the people I've worked with, I've got access to so many incredible professionals that want the visibility that my brand can give them. So I'm bringing them in to host masterclasses for me in exchange for becoming a recommended provider to my community. And we'll be doing like two masterclasses a month. They'll be recorded. They'll be getting content prompts every month and a private community and a content clinic and a profile clinic each month from me personally to help them with their LinkedIn um, and answer any questions they've got. So that's, that's the future model for my, my business because I want to support more people. I want to want to be able to use my brand to support more people at a bigger scale than just who I can work with one-to-one. I understand like my, it's, it's not affordable now for the vast majority of people that follow me, which I can't really apologize for. That's why I've got a digital course, but um. I want to be able to make a bigger impact. Leah, I'm, I absolutely love this story. Love this story. You've gone into a pandemic. You've bought a house for you and your little boy. You come out the other end, everything you've gone through to where you are now, you should be super proud of yourself. And I love the fact when you're on LinkedIn, you speak your mind, you're honest, you're straight talking, you take no bullshit from anyone, which I love. And you've created a business model that is absolutely wonderful. And um, I'm really, really, really proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's it's it truly is. I've got to take my hat off to you. I've gone from being a girl to a woman in front of LinkedIn's eyes because I've had to grow so much over the past two years and learn so much. I feel like I've kind of I've become like a little sister that everybody's watched and gone. It, Go on, you can do it. Yeah, everyone's supporting you. Everyone's behind you, and you've created a brilliant brand on uh, on TikTok, on Instagram. Leah Turner. Anyone listening, please go and check out Leah Turner. A wonderful woman who's created something amazing. And uh, I really thank you for coming on today, Leah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm, I am sorry that I can't, couldn't come down and actually meet you in person, but we'll get there eventually. We will do. We will do. You take care of yourself. Massive respect. And uh, I can't wait to see you smash LinkedIn even more. Thanks, Rog. Take care. Bye. Bye.